0: Prayer increases our trust in God, allowing us to fully surrender our lives to Him. This message is the second in the series, Teach Us to Pray. The message is entitled, Rule Us. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Well, last weekend we started a brand new series of messages entitled, Teach Us, Learning to Pray Prayers That Get Answers. And I hope that you made a commitment last weekend to be a part of this process of of really praying on a consistent basis. If you did not do that, I would encourage you to find that link on the website. We'll make it available for you as to how you can make the commitment to pray over these eight weeks together. And I believe and I know there will be a great difference in your life. So this weekend, we're continuing that same theme, teach us to pray prayers that get answered i want to talk to us today about a second element of prayer we're going to take a look at the idea of a prayer that really is inviting god to rule us last week we talked about god teaching us now we're going to pray this weekend god rule us i'll talk about the prayer of surrender now what is prompting this series actually was a request that was made by one of jesus disciples to jesus himself that uh, i think it's valid for us to follow up on as well and that request was found in luke chapter 11 verse number one listen to what happened once jesus was praying in a certain place so jesus was engaged in his own prayer life and he was doing it in a certain place more likely he had a consistent place he would go to pray When he stopped praying that was after he'd finished his prayer one of his disciples it's an unnamed disciple we we don't know exactly which of the disciples it would have been but one of his disciples said to him lord teach us to pray there is the request as john taught his disciples so here's this request that comes to jesus lord teach us to pray and again last weekend we talked about that aspect the importance of being teachable learning the basics of prayer Now Jesus responded to this request to learn to pray on the part of his disciples with giving us what we often refer to as the Lord's Prayer. It's really a model prayer. It's not so much the prayer the Lord prayed. It's the prayer that we as his followers should pray. And it's actually more than just a prayer of recital. It's a prayer actually that gives us a pattern for effective prayer life. Let me read for you Matthew's account of this. Matthew 6 verses 9 through 13. This then, is how you should pray. So the request, teach us to pray. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Notice this, your kingdom come, your will be done, where on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There are a lot of different aspects to this prayer, but I want to focus in this weekend on verse number 10, where Jesus said, pray this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, why don't we say that together? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So notice the three sections to that prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done And then the location on earth just like it is or as it is in heaven these are powerful important words and I want to focus our attention on these words and help us to understand that Jesus is teaching us to pray the prayer of surrender a prayer inviting God to rule us and to rule the circumstances around us. Now this follows directly on Jesus saying our father, which art in heaven. And so uh, there's this time of worship that leads to this invitation that we make of God to come and rule us as we surrender to him. So today we're going to look at three things, three simple things, just very easily three things to understand about the rule us or the prayer of surrender. Rule us prayer, the prayer of surrender. Number one, remember this, we live in an unruly world and we battle an unruly self. We are living in an unruly world and we're battling an unruly self. This is why this prayer is so important. What if, here's a question for you, what if the entire world was fully surrendered to God. Can you imagine that for a moment? How different would our world be? Imagine a world without hatred, or pride, or jealousy, or mistreatment, or prejudice, or deception, or sickness, or sadness, or poverty, or any of the other kind of ills that we see in our sinful, broken world. Can you imagine what our world would be like if none of that kind of stuff existed? It would be an amazing thing. And there is a place where none of that stuff exists. That place is called heaven. We're on earth and God is in heaven. And heaven is a place of health. It's a place of holiness. It's a place of wholeness. It is a perfect place. It's a place of justice. It is a place of joy. There's no sickness. There's no sorrow. There's no pain. There's no sin in heaven. And the question is, why do we find none of these things in heaven? Why do we only find in heaven these points of health and wholeness and perfection and justice and joy and health and all this stuff that we just talked about. Why is heaven this kind of place? It's not just because God is there. It's because, yes, God is there, but it's also because God rules there. He's in charge there. Everything, all the angelic beings, every aspect of heaven is completely subject to the rule of God, his authority his will that's why heaven is such a good place because God is good and his good rule rules heaven and so none of the bad things that we see on earth exist in heaven because God's rule God's will God's kingdom is fully established in heaven that's what makes it such a wonderful place because everywhere God rules good rules everywhere God rules love rules everywhere God rules blessing rules And the problem is we don't live in heaven, we live on earth. We live in this unruly world influenced and dominated by evil, dominions of evil. Listen to Paul's description of this in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. The evil, unruly world in which we live. As for you, that's you and me. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, and what you used to live when you followed, notice this, the ways of this world, and of the ruler, notice that, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, he's talking about the devil there, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And so Paul says the reason this world is so broken. The reason this world has so many problems is because it's under the wrong rule. It's under the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirits of darkness are ruling in this world. And before we met Christ, we were subject to these same things, the ways of the world. Colossians 1.13, again, he emphasizes this, for he, Jesus being referred to there, has rescued us from the dominion or the rule of darkness and brought us into the kingdom or the rule of the son he loves. Not only is the world anti-God and is the world not subject to the rule of God, but, but we're not either, okay? We can't just say, oh, yeah, it's the world out there. It's the problem with the world. No, the problem with the world is people, and we're people, okay? It's not just some existence of the world. The world's made up of people like you and me, and so it's an unruly world because we're unruly people by nature. Listen, by nature, we're all rebels against God. We don't want God to rule us. Isaiah 53 verse six says, we all like sheep have notice this, gone astray. We've rebelled against God. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, that's of Jesus, speaking of his death and crucifixion, uh, the iniquity of us all. See, we by nature, think about your own life, and I'll give you a passage related to this in just a moment. We by nature fight, and we resist, and we rebel against the very one who created us. It's, It's incredible to think about, but here is God who made us, and here we are in the world rebelling against the very one who created us. We're very unruly people. Paul the apostle described the unruly nature that he saw in his own self. And I'm sure you can identify with this as well. Has there ever been a time you, you knew the right thing to do? You understood the right thing to do, but you did the wrong thing anyway. You understand, you understood clearly what you ought to be doing, but you actually rebelled and did what you wanted to do anyway. All of us are like this. And Paul described it in Romans chapter seven. Listen to how he described his own struggle. And again, I believe you can relate to this as well. I certainly can. Romans seven, beginning in verse 15, new living translation. I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that is that rebellion against God that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin, again, rebellion against God, living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I bet you can identify with that, right? I love God's law with my heart, all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. See, he's talking about this unruly nature within him. Oh, what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. It is my mind, in my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Paul says, I am so unruly because of sin living inside of me. Does this sound familiar to you? We will never be effective in prayer until we become aware of our own wayward, rebellious tendencies, that we're in a situation where you and I live in an unruly world and we're battling with an unruly, rebellious self. All of us have this struggle. Number two, the second thing to remember as we're talking about this prayer of rule us and the importance, your kingdom come, your will be done. Number two, an unruly self needs a loving and powerful ruler. That's why heaven is such a great place. An unruly self needs a loving and powerful ruler. Well, at our house, though, we recently got a puppy. And I'm learning a little bit about puppies again. It's been a while since we had a puppy at our house. And so I'm learning something about puppies. Puppies are very curious, and they're very determined, and they can be quite set on going where they want to go and doing what they want to do. They've never been subjected to any kind of rule. And I'm also learning as I'm studying some of the dog training and puppy training videos and things of that nature that the secret to a good pet experience is actually learning to train them and to actually rule them. The puppy needs a trainer and the puppy needs a ruler. The puppy needs to know what's appropriate and what is not not appropriate and needs to be done in a loving, kind way. But boundaries need to be set. The puppy has to learn how to live under the rule of the house are rules of the house that the puppy has to learn. And I think it's true. I know it's true for all of us. Most of us in life are determined to do kind of what we want to do and go where we want to go, kind of like that little puppy. And we don't want any leashes on our life. We don't want anyone sort of telling us how to live our lives. And the problem is this, that without some rulership in our lives, Our sinful choices, our sinful ways, our sinful ideas, our sinful pursuits are going to always get us into trouble. Listen to Proverbs 13 verse 15. Good judgment wins favor, but the way of the unfaithful, that's the unruly, leads to their, what's the next word there? Destruction leads to their destruction. So when you and I don't have any rules, we end up going to destruction. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. My little puppy would love to run out into the middle of the main road in front of our house, but, and it may feel like the right thing to do and the urge that that little puppy has, but That little puppy doesn't realize that that's going to lead to its destruction. The same is true for you and me. There's a way that seems right. It feels right. How many times do we say, well, it just felt good to do it. It felt right. And yet it leads to our destruction. See, our lives will never be all that God designed them to be or wants them to be until he actually rules us, until heaven gets into our earth and gets into our world. And only then can life be changed. Only then can the rule of God make a difference. And here's the thing to remember, you can't make yourself into the person God designed you to be. Only God can make you into the person God designed you to be. And that will only happen when you surrender to him. First Thessalonians chapter 5, 23, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you, that is rule you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God himself is the only one who can sanctify us and rule us through and through. Paul understood this. Going back to his statement a few moments ago, when I try to do right, I end up doing wrong. And he comes down to this question or this statement and a question as well in Romans 7, 24 and 25. Listen to it again. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? There's this question. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Paul says the only way that I can get out of this predicament that I'm in, this sinful nature, this unruly nature, is for God to come and rule my life. An unruly self needs a loving and powerful ruler, and we've been sent a loving and powerful ruler, and his name is Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the one who comes to rule our lives. That's exactly why Jesus said, when you pray, pray, may your kingdom come, the kingdom of heaven come, and may your will be done on earth, in my earth and on this earth, just like it's done in heaven. Here's the third thing I wanna share with you today as we're talking about this rule us prayer, the prayer of surrender. The primary purpose of prayer is to increase our trust in God and to surrender our lives to him more fully let me read that again the primary purpose of prayer is to increase our trust in god and to surrender our lives to him more fully now last weekend i talked about the the main purpose of prayer being to get to know god and to get to know his nature his ways and to also make sure that we're, uh, as we're learning more about him, that we're, we're being conformed to his image, that we're allowing him to affect who we are and, and show us his glory, that we see his goodness. And the reason that this, that ties in with what I've just said is that when you get to know God, you learn to trust him. And trust leads to surrender. You're, you're not going to obey without trust. So you more, the more you get to know God through prayer, it, it, it effectively accomplishes the purpose of trust in your life and trust leads to surrender. If i were to ask people what is the most important thing about prayer i think most people would say it's a way to get god to do stuff in my life if i if I'm, I'm praying because i want god to change this or do that or give me this thing and so we have this tendency to believe that prayer is the primary reason for prayer is to get stuff from god and as i said last weekend and we'll remind you of again today there's no question that god does things for us we serve a loving great god who's invited us to bring our requests but That's not the primary purpose of prayer. The primary purpose of prayer is to increase our trust in God because we know he's good. And then out of that trust to fully surrender ourselves to God. See, it's not about getting God to change things. It's allowing God to change us so that we change things. Let me say that again. Prayer is not about getting God to change things. It's not just about that but it's allowing God to change you and me so that we begin to change things. His kingdom rules us. And because of that, we begin to take charge and bring the right order to the things around us in a way that pleases God. I want to take you back to an old Testament character. And I want you to see this at work in somebody's life, this prayer of surrender and what happens when we pray these kind of prayers. I'm going to take you all the way back to the book of Genesis. And there's a man in the book of Genesis by the name of Jacob. You perhaps know that name because it's often referred to in those three patriarchs, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so we're going to focus for a few moments on, on Jacob as we're wrapping up today's message. When you study the life of Jacob, you'll find that Jacob by nature was a very unruly guy. He was a very conniving guy. In fact, he's a con artist. In fact, his name means deceiver. The actual word Jacob means a deceiver, a con artist, we might say. You might recall that it was Jacob who tricked his very own brother out of his birthright by selling him a bowl of soup for his birthright. It was Jacob who actually misrepresented who he was to his father, deceived his father, and stole the firstborn blessing. Jacob, I will tell you, Jacob was a rascal. He was, a, he was bad news coming. Jacob was a deceiver. He had a very unruly nature after he had stolen the birthright from his brother Esau and the firstborn blessing from his brother Esau. Esau hated him so much that Esau decided that he was going to kill him. And so Jacob had to leave. And Jacob ends up for a number of years living with his uncle uh, Laban. And of course, that's an interesting story in and of itself. And finally, God sends Jacob back home again. So Jacob is making his journey back home again. The last time he left home, he knew his brother Esau wanted to kill him. Now he's going back into the same threatening territory again. God said, go back home. So he's going back home. So now is this impending confrontation that is right before Jacob as he's about to head home and have to encounter his angry, resentful brother Esau. Again, let me pick up the story in Genesis chapter 32, beginning in verse number 6. Are you with me? So he's going back home again. Notice what happens. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. So here's Jacob coming back home again. He sends some messengers out to check on what's ahead of him, and the messengers come back to Jacob and say, Jacob, we saw Esau, and Esau is on the way to meet you, and he's not by himself. He has 400 men with him. Now, can you imagine again the last time that Jacob left? Jacob was fearing for his life. He ran because Esau wanted to kill him, and now he's going back home, and Esau is on the way to greet him, to meet him with 400 men. Notice verse seven: In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. And then Jacob prayed. I bet he prayed. Would you? Would you? pray to. I'm sure you would. Here in this moment, Jacob says, I got to go to God. This is a 911 prayer. Then Jacob prayed, Oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. I have only I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid that he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea which cannot be counted he spent the night there and from what he had with him he selected a gift for his brother esau let's stop there for a moment so what does jacob do jacob hears that his brother esau is on the way to him with 400 men he's very afraid and so what he what he does he hits his knees and starts to pray oh god save me god i know that that esau is coming i'm in trouble would you save me he prays a very desperate prayer. He sends everybody away and he spends some time in prayer. Let's pick up the story in verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. So it's a stream there. And after he'd sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he had wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, notice this, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Here's what I want you to see. That night, Jacob is all alone. He's fearing for his life because Esau is on the way to meet him with 400 men. He doesn't know what's gonna happen. So he begins to pray and he prays. And in that moment, God comes down and meets with Jacob and there's a wrestling match that happens. And the wrestling match is a wrestling match for the will of Jacob. Is he willing to surrender his will to God? And so all night long, there is Jacob wrestling with God. In prayer, wrestling and wrestling to surrender his life to God, will I give up my will? Will I give up my life? Will I give up my nature? And finally, what happens is that that God there in that moment asks Jacob, "What is your name?" And Jacob says, "My name is Jacob." He was confessing that he was a deceiver. He was confessing that he was a con, art, con artist. He was confessing his sin. He was confessing who he was. And God says, "Okay, now that you've done that." Two things are gonna happen. I'm gonna to touch you in such a way that you'll never walk the same way again. You'll always be dependent upon me. And he touched his hip. And from that time forward, Jacob walked with a limp in his life. But there's another thing that God did for him. God said, I'm also gonna give you a new name. From now on, you're gonna be called, you're gonna be called Israel. You're not going to be called Jacob anymore because you've surrendered to me. And I've done a work in your life. I've taught you that you're dependent upon me. That limp that you have will always remind you of my work in your life, that you don't have the strength in and of yourself. You've surrendered yourself to me. And now that you're surrendered to me, Jacob, I'm going to give you a new name, Israel, and that name Israel means a prince with God. He went in one night of prayer from being known as Jacob the deceiver, Jacob the con artist, Jacob the liar, Jacob the the deceiver, to to now he's called Israel a prince with God. And it all happened in a prayer meeting. It all happened in a moment when Jacob, all alone with God, surrendered himself fully to God at the brook Jabok. There in that night, he learned something about praying the prayer of surrender. He learned that the primary purpose of prayer wasn't deliverance from Esau. The primary purpose of prayer was deliverance from himself. So many times in life, the things that we're praying for deliverance from, it's not, that's not really the issue. What the issue is, is deliverance from ourselves. Deliverance from the things in us that are so unruly. And that's why Jesus said, when you pray, spend some time inviting God to come and rule you because we're all unruly and pray your kingdom come and your will be done. Lord, whatever is unruly in me, I want to let go of it. Whatever is rebellious in me, I want to surrender it. I want to surrender to you my will, and I want to surrender to you, God, my my ways. I want to surrender to you my, my own reasonings, and I want to surrender to you my fears, and my all of my objections to your rule and reign in my life. And God, I want to surrender to you control of my life, and trying to control stuff in my life. And God, I want to even surrender all my desires desires to you. I want to give you everything. I want it all to be about you, God, not about me, but about you. I don't want to be the Jacob anymore. Here's the beautiful thing, by the way, about that story is that after Jacob submitted himself, surrendered himself to God, and that night there was this great victory in his own life. By the time that Esau arrives, Esau chose to be Jacob's friend. There was no confrontation. There was only friendliness that occurred because God moved in Esau's life in such a way that brought about peace in that relationship. And so the very fears that Jacob had were dealt with out of the surrender of his own life. See, God can take care of everything else in your life if you'll just simply surrender yourself to him. Jesus prayed this way. He learned, he, he taught us to pray, may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But he also demonstrated this in his own life. Do you remember on the night that he was taken to the garden. He went to the garden of Gethsemane and he goes there to pray with his disciples and he takes Peter, James, and John with him into the garden. and He goes a little further distance away from them and he begins to pray as he knows he's going to be arrested and crucified the next day. Do you remember the prayer that Jesus prayed? It was his own night, just like Jacob, Jacob had a night alone with God. Now Jesus has his alone moment with God and notice what he prays. Luke 22 verses 41 and 42. He withdrew about a stone's throw, throw beyond them, that's Jesus, knelt down and prayed. Here's what he prayed. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet, what does he say? Not my will, but yours be done. I think it's probably true. I know that it's true in our lives in so many ways that we will, ne- we will make very little progress in our prayer life. And our elements of prayer unless we've learned to sincerely and consistently pray the prayer of surrender so you can give your yourself to god today and then take yourself back tomorrow and so it's not just a one-time prayer that you pray it's an ongoing daily prayer that today god i want to surrender myself to you i want to give you my will today my ways today my control today lord my reasonings today my objections today or all those things that get in the way of my relationship with you god i want to ask you to rule me may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven we live in a very unruly world why because god doesn't rule we're very unruly in ourselves why because often we don't allow god to rule us so we need to let heaven come to our earth we need a loving powerful ruler in our lives that'll move us along the right path and when you and I begin to understand that prayer is not just about getting God to change things, it's all about allowing God to change us. That's when we, we begin to understand what the real power of prayer is all about. Can I encourage you this weekend to begin to pray daily, regularly, consistently. God, may your kingdom come and may your will be done in my earth. Just like it is in heaven. Lord, heaven is a perfect place. I want the peace and the perfection and the beauty of heaven to rule in my life. May it rule in my family. May it rule in my friends. May it rule in my work. May it rule in everything that I do. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I am asking you to rule me. I am praying the prayer of surrender. Would you bow with me as we pray together? Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have this weekend to study your word. What a joy it is to come to the word of God and let it speak to us. And Lord, we believe that you're saying something to each one of us, reminding us of the importance of praying that prayer of surrender, that you would come and rule each one of us. We confess, Lord, that we're very unruly. We don't like, we don't like to put the leash on in life. We, we wanna do things our way. By nature, all of us like sheep go astray. And I'm praying in the mighty name of Jesus, I'm praying for all of us that, Lord, today we would begin to pray that prayer of surrender as sincerely as you will help us to be through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that as we do surrender ourselves to you, that not only would you change us, but you would change the world around us, through us, for that we thank you in Jesus' name. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.